0: I have this uh, this vivid memory when I was 11, maybe 12 years old. Kids in the neighborhood were playing basketball at a house down the street. It was uh, me, my little brother, and two girls that lived in our neighborhood against these two guys. The uh, the two guys they were the, the real athletes. They would later like become high school ball players. And then there were the the four of us. Actually, one of the one of the uh, girls would become a high school ball player as well. Um, they were the better athletes, right? So they thought the two of them could take the four of us. And, and the game started, and it was, it was friendly and, and good. But then there were four of us and two of them, and we could make layups. And so we started to edge out in front, and we're leading, actually, like by 10 or 12 points. And, uh, and then uh, we might just say the competitive streak took over. Uh, the game got a little rougher. And uh, and then we went into that zone where it was like call your own foul, but nobody was calling fouls, and it was pushing and, and shoving. And then one of the young uh, women went up to to try and make a basket, and one of the boys just shoved her. And uh, and I confronted him and said, "Hey, just knock it off." And uh, and he's like, "What are you gonna do about it?" I don't know. Like, for one thing, we're going to take the ball back. So I grab the ball, I go out front, and, uh, and we start it again. And, uh, and she was open in the same spot, and this time he went over and just shoved her hard enough to knock her down. She starts crying. I walk up to him and confront him. And and uh, was like, just knock it off. And, uh, and he, again, what are you going to do about it? And then he starts off on all these names, uh, essentially calling me a loser for not Shoving him or, or reacting violently. And, uh, and I just got mad, madder, and madder. And it, the thing was, he was a lot bigger than I was. So, like, I wasn't that I was nonviolent, it's that I knew that there, I wasn't going to win. Um, so I did whatever any, you know, normal 11 or 12 year old would do in that case I walked back to my house and I grabbed a bat. Not just any bat, but a Louisville Slugger bat, like big, thick, wood bat, and I went back down there. And I I was not a violent kid. I had never been in a fight. I'd never hit anyone except my brother. Um, I I don't know what I thought I was going to do when I got back down the street. And... The other odd thing about this story is I remember all of that vividly. Like, I remember the anger, and I remember the bat in my hands, and I don't remember how the story ended except that I know for sure I did not hit anyone with a bat. My best guess is that by the time I got back down there, the game had essentially broken up, and they had probably left, or, or maybe, somebody, maybe I cooled off and thought better of it. Maybe somebody said, just let it go. I don't know. I, I didn't do anything with that bat. But... That memory has stuck with me for the last couple of weeks as I've been thinking about our message today and reading our scripture that we're going to read from Luke today because there are these three words in that scripture and it says, love your enemies. What does that mean? Like, was I supposed to love the bully and what does that even look like? As we continue our Be Kind series, we're going to explore this passage of of scripture today where Jesus says these words and see what we might learn and what we might hear from God about how we seek to be kind in this world today. Would you pray with me, and then we're going to dive into Luke chapter 6. Loving God, I just pray that uh, for all of us gathered here today or gathered virtually, you would have us hear what you would, what you would have to say to us today. Open our ears to, to listen. Open our eyes to to see what you would have us see. And God, just open our hearts that your love might flood in so that we can go out and share it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I I know this isn't necessarily the most comfortable of things, but I, I want to ask you right now to picture somebody in your mind that has hurt you. Or someone that you just don't get along with, you just can't stand. Maybe, maybe for you, picturing someone who just seems to always make your life more difficult, stands in the way of your happiness and your wholeness. If it's tough to visualize one person, maybe, maybe think, of, think of a group, a group of people who stand for something that, that maybe you're against or a group of people with whom you disagree, or maybe for you, a group of people that just seems to be making life worse for everybody. Just picture that person, that group, in your mind right now. And as you do, what does it stir up for you? What feelings does it stir up? What do you, what do you feel? What are the thoughts of those who cause hurt or injustice or, or pain or suffering? What, is, what does that stir up in you? I, I want to invite you to, to take those thoughts and, and feelings. I want you to lay them aside for a moment. And I, I know that isn't easy, but, but, but as we're going we're to kind of explore, when, when we're filled with, with that negativity in our lives, it can o- often be hard to hear what others have to say. So I want you to just hand those to God for a moment. Just hand them over to God, and then let's hear what Jesus has to say to us today. Luke 6. Verse 27 says this, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. The words of Jesus, love your enemies. And I think when we think of enemies, quite often the first thing that pops into our head is, like, enemies on a global scale. Like, if somebody says, who are your enemies? Russia is our enemy, or, you know, China is our, our enemy. We often sort of think in, in those ideas of superpowers. Or, or we might also think of terrorists or those who do mass acts of violence. Like, those are, those are our enemies, another country, another, another group of, of people. But, but Jesus wasn't talking about, like, another country is the enemy, in the terms we sometimes think of today. In fact, if we read Luke's gospel in chapter 6, what we find is Luke, uh, Jesus, in, in Luke's gospel, he, he invites a group of people to follow him, and they do. They, they drop everything, and they say yes, and they, and they follow him, and he gathers in a level plane, and, and he begins to teach them the way of God, about the kingdom of God, and and in this level plane, he, he begins to, to show that the kingdom of God is is this level playing field where everyone is loved, it looks different than the world as they know it. And then he he offers these these teachings about blessings and curses. And he and he blesses, he offers these blessings. He says, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are, are those who are hungry, who don't have food on their table. Blessed are those who will be ridiculed and hated for following me and suggesting that the world could look different than it does today. And then Jesus turns and he starts to pronounce woes. He says, Woe for those who are rich and comfortable with no concern for the poor, for those who are comfortable at the expense of the suffering of others. Woe to those who will be threatened by a a kingdom that proposes that all are loved equally by our God. The enemies, as we follow Luke's gospel forward, the enemies of Jesus and his followers, thus aren't some other superpower, but it becomes those whose comfort is threatened by the kingdom of God. Whose ways are challenged by the teachings of Jesus. Now, this will include the Roman rulers, yes, absolutely, but it's also going to include the religious leaders and teachers who have a stake in the status quo, and these enemies are going to do all they can to stop this movement. So Jesus is teaching his followers what to do when these enemies... Respond to a changing world with expressions of power. With hatred and bullying, with persecution. And eventually with violence to anybody that they label as an enemy. Eventually, for Jesus to the cross. Jesus is teaching what to do in the presence of these enemies. And notice what Jesus says or maybe we should say, notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus does not say to destroy your enemies. Jesus does not say to taunt and argue and devalue your enemies. Degrade them. Jesus does not say to meet violence with violence. Three words Jesus says to start. Love your enemies. Love enemies your enemies. At this point, I think it's okay to ask, really, Jesus, like, love your enemies? Is this even possible? You really want me to share a meal with somebody who wants to have me for dinner? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? Why? Like, why would I want to do, like, and how is this even possible? Well, here's the full text of what Jesus says. We're going to pick up in Luke 6, verse 27. It says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And then he goes on, If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Then he keeps going. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. just as your Father is merciful. These words of Jesus are filled with so much teaching. Somebody in the first service said, you could have done four sermons on that, which I think meant maybe that I had put four into one. So hang on for a moment. There's a lot here. But they answer that question, like, why and how? Why should we love our enemies, and how do we love our enemies? We might start with the very word, the word for love and love your enemies is agape in the Greek. Some of you may know that in Greek, there are different words, and they have different connotations that we sort of all lump into one word, love, but our English word actually gets pretty confusing. Does it mean I love pie, or does it mean I love people? Does it mean I love my wife? Like, there's all these different expressions of love. Agape It should be noted, it it doesn't mean to like, it isn't romantic in any ways, it it isn't about friendship, it's a different word. Agape is this sense of of unmerited, um, flowing, unconditional love. It means this desire for the good of the other. So we think about that word, It, it doesn't mean that we have to be friends with our enemy, that's not what Jesus says doesn't mean we have to have some kind of, you know, deep respect for our enemy in the sense of, of that, that kind of love, that likability kind of love. But it does mean that we should want the best for our enemy just like we want the best for anyone, that we should want them to experience the love of God's kingdom just as we have experienced it. So, this doesn't mean we walk away from violence or, or unjust actions. Jesus instead asks his followers to simply desire the well being of all, including one's enemy. Next, Jesus tells us how to love our enemies. He doesn't promise this is going to be easy, he doesn't say, All right, here's three steps, you follow these and you're good. But he does share three things that we can do to love our enemies. Those are, do good. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Do good, bless, pray for. If you look at these three things, you'll you'll realize that loving our enemies, it isn't even ultimately about our enemies, it's about How we are in relationship with God. Right? Loving our enemies, this invitation, is not simply about our enemies. It's about our call to bring God's kingdom on earth and be in right relationship with God. And this way, our reaction to what our enemies do should come not from their actions, but from God's investment in our lives. So why these three things why do good bless pray for because these three actions focus on right relationship with God. And think about it if we are doing good for others if we are blessing others if we are praying for others we we remove any room for hatred or or violence. Will these stop our enemies from actions that are hurtful or or uncaring? Not necessarily. But doing good will keep us from doing harm. Blessing will stop us from cursing and being consumed by cursing, putting ourselves in the seat of judgment instead of God. Praying will remind us to invite God into the conversation, into our action, will remind us that God sees us and feels our hurt. Together, these will keep us from putting more harm more violence, more hurt into the world, and will keep us from being consumed by the hate and the anger that we sometimes feel. You remember those feelings you had earlier as we thought about those? If we are out there doing good, if we are out there blessing, if we're out there praying for, we we move those, those feelings aside and focus on the good that God has given us. This text in Luke's Gospel and its parallel in Matthew were the foundation of the movements of Gandhi in India and of Martin Luther King Jr. in the the civil rights movement. As Martin Luther King Jr. would later say in reflection of this very teaching, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. When we do good when we bless when we pray for we put light and love into the world so i don't know about you but this this uh this text also raises another question if we keep reading have you ever read a passage and you you just have this wish that you could like take jesus out to coffee the next day and be like jesus could you just clarify this like could you explain this a little more clearly to me anybody have that experience in your life um, actually, I might recommend if you ever have that, grab two or three spiritual friends and sit down and, and dig into the text together. Because lots of times, like Jesus' word will show up in there. But uh, but in in this case, um, we we I just have to ask. Like, it says to turn the other cheek and get hit again. Like is does this mean that if we're abused, we should just take it? Does this uh, does this mean that if there's injustice, we should just? Like, walk away and and let that happen? If if we dig into this, what Jesus says next might help us find an answer. The text says, If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, without context, these passages can be used in terrible ways. They have been used in terrible ways. They've been used to tell people in abusive relationships that they should stay in that relationship. They've been used to justify ways of benevolence that are are not helpful to building, building community. With context here, however, I think we find something really important as we think about how to love our enemies, but also to to stand for God's justice and goodness and mercy. In the times of Jesus, you would most likely get slapped on the cheek by a soldier or by, um, like, a a master would slap a a slave or a servant, a subordinate. And when they, they would slap, they would use their right hand. It was customary. If you needed to put somebody in their place, you would use your right hand and you would slap their right cheek. In this example of Jesus, imagine somebody, a soldier or somebody in power has used their right hand to try and put somebody in their, in their place, to exert their power over them. And what Jesus says is, turn your left cheek. Well now, if you're the soldier or the master, there isn't any way to hit their right cheek with the back of your right hand again. You'd have to switch hands to hit them. What Jesus is inviting people to do isn't simply a, an invitation to more abuse. It's a, it's a nonviolent response to stand up to those who are abusing you or those who are trying to exert power over you. It says to the master, the one trying to bully or, or coerce you, you do not have power over me. If you're going to hit me again, you're going to break honor and shame rules in this society. It's not just standing by. It's saying, your act of violence, your act of power, will not infringe on who I am, on how I understand my relationship with God, with Jesus. It's saying, you can't take away my humanity. In a similar way, taking a coat in the time of Jesus was often an act of extortion by either the military or or by people in power, like tax collectors. They would take your, take your coat to prove that they have power over you. And what Jesus says in this case is, if they, if they take your coat, if they want to make that show of power of you, give them your, your tunic, your, your, your shirt as well, because then you'll be naked and everyone will see the injustice. Don't just let them take your coat where people won't notice. Take off, take off your shirt too so that they can see the injustice and harm that this person is causing you aren't just accepting the injustice, you're pointing it out to the world. You see, we're, we're not called by Jesus to stay in, in situations of abuse, and Jesus doesn't ask us to ignore injustice. But Jesus invites us to respond, not with violence or hatred, not in the ways of revenge and getting even in the power plays of this world. Jesus invites us to respond in a whole different way, speaking the truth without hatred and malice, pointing to the way of Jesus, the way of God's love in our world, the way of God's kingdom. This whole passage culminates with be merciful just as your Father is merciful. If we keep going... Jesus invites his followers to realize that, that even sinners love people who are lovable. Even sinners give to others knowing that they're going to be repaid or, or that they're going to get something out of it. But he, Jesus is inviting his followers to, to live by a different standard, a different way, right? Love even the unlovable. Easy, no. The way of Jesus, Yes give without expecting to get something in return. Why? Because you, because we know this kind of love of the Father. We know this kind of mercy from Jesus. And don't we want others to know God in that way too? there are a lot of people out there today saying who God is or how they understand God. And I'm just going to be honest as, as pastor of Clay Church today and stand up and say that there's a lot of what I consider misinformation out there. There's a lot of images of God that I think are incredibly harmful in our world today. Some people are, are being shown a God that says if you disagree with someone, you can't continue in loving relationship with them. Some people are, are showing a God that, that says that we should label and dehumanize our enemies. Some people are, are showing a God that says to meet violence with greater violence. And to that, Jesus says, be merciful as your Father is merciful. To offer mercy... Will that change our enemies? Not necessarily. But maybe. You know, cats generally eat mice. But if they share together, if they share a meal together, if they share experience together, if they put aside status and power, they can play and share. There is hope. But even if the enemy doesn't change, you see, being merciful sets us free. Forgiving sets us free from the anger and the hatred and and that constant feeling that, I don't know about you, but do you ever just feel angry for a day and you hate feeling that way? Forgiveness and mercy sets sets us free, even if it doesn't change the enemy. Living generously, being willing to just give and not expecting anything in return sets us free from feeling like we're owed something by the world. Praying for those who hate or impede us reminds us to share our burdens with God that that the brokenness of that relationship doesn't define us. God's love is what defines us. A God who promises to be with us Do you know Stephen? Stephen in the book of Acts was appointed by the disciples. They, they needed help caring for everybody. So the community was growing, and so they appointed Stephen to help take care of, of the widows and, and the needs of the community. Stephen is the namesake of our Stephen ministry here at, at Clay Church. There are lay people sitting in the pews every day who are, who are trained to walk with, to walk with others who are is a spiritual guide in times of struggle and, and challenge. Later in Acts, Stephen testifies to his faith. He faces the enemy and he, he shares this love of Jesus and, and this upside-down kingdom and the people, they don't want to hear it, and so they drag him out and they get ready to stone him to death. And in Acts 7, verse 59, it says this, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord Do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Could I forgive someone who is stoning me to death? I don't know. I I don't know. But if Jesus could forgive those who were hanging him on the cross... And if Stephen could forgive those who were stoning him, perhaps we can take a step toward living that kind of radical and forgiving, merciful agape love. One step to pray for our enemies or, or to do good in spite of the conflict of the situation. Perhaps, perhaps our steps can show the community and, and the world around us a God whose love can reconcile any relationship. Perhaps our, our mercy can show a way of God that both stands against injustice, but at the same time doesn't require dehumanizing our enemy. Perhaps our love can show away a way of peace that God desires for us. You know, often you'll, you'll hear about, in moments of conflict or tension, fight or, or flight, right? Fight or, or flee, sometimes it's said. People have added freeze to that. Human beings, when, when we're in that moment of conflict, we, we either fight or we, or we flee or we freeze in that moment. I wonder if today we could hear a different invitation in those moments of conflict in our world and in our lives, which is to forgive and to, and to forge a different way in Jesus going forward to forgive, to let go of the anger and the bitterness, and then to forge a new way forward, address the injustice, address the hurt, but not in a way that leads to more violence and more pain in our world. This is my prayer today. As we move into this last half of our Be Kind series, my, my prayer is that we'll take these Be Kind yard signs out there and we'll put them all over the community as a reminder. That, just call people, please, let's love each other. Let's show people the God that we, that we believe in is a God of love and goodness and mercy. And. And in a world that seems so filled with bitterness and, and tension and envy and strife, in those moments when we feel it, let's not, let's not pick up a bat and go into the fight. Let's pick up a Bible and a prayer book and hear the words of Jesus to go and, and do good and to pray and to, and to bless even our enemies, maybe particularly our enemies right now, that we might reflect the mercy of Jesus and testify to our Father in heaven who is merciful and offers us the gift of salvation in Jesus. Let's share that, God, with our world through our kindness. Amen.